We're going to start with a nice word on Parshas Shemois. A bacante word, well known. I think this, I think this is almost how they teach it uh, in Chayde, in school, the simple way. The Pusik says, esamusa. We find that Bas Paroi, right, um, stretched out her hand. And that, the way Rashi says, that uh, amusa, amas harve. her hand became a few amas long, and she was able to take Moshe Rabbeini. Right? She was able to take Moshe Rabbeini. So obviously, the Ibishta made a nest, Hashem made a nest, that she was able to reach it. That's, that's a simple understanding of, what, of the story, what happened. But the question is asked, what was she thinking? Now, after the fact, the story is told, that her hand stretched out, so Hashem made it, she was able to reach him. But why did she stretch her hand out to reach something that was so many amas away? Right? And I think the simple understanding that we give the children in Chayda is that if a person wants to do something, or a person knows they're supposed to do something, and it looks very unachievable, it looks like something they can't get to, Right? Sometimes things look very uh, sometimes things look very difficult, but a person knows that's what they're supposed to do. And they try. They do what they could. They don't they don't even think that they can really get to where they're supposed to get, but they know that this much I could do. That's what they're supposed to do, and Hashem helps them get there. Famous story about the stipler who was uh, who was in the Russian army and it was cold and he couldn't take the, the coat off the tree uh, because it was Shabbos, it was Friday night. And he was thinking to himself, it's, it's Akunas Nafushis, he can't stay a whole Friday night without a coat, he's going to freeze to death. And he kept on telling himself, but, but five minutes I can wait. I'm not yet freezing to death, I can wait five minutes, then I'll take the coat. And he waited five minutes, another five minutes, and he pushed himself through the whole night, and he was able to be showing Shabbos the right way, with Messias Nefesh, obviously. The point is that a person does what he could do, and Hashem helps that he does the rest. And Hashem is helping us do the first part as well. Sometimes we look at it like, okay, I'll do mine, Hashem will do the rest. You're not doing, you're not doing yours, Hashem is doing the rest, Hashem is doing everything. But Hashem always lets us do something in the right direction. And when a person does that, then Hashem will show us very often how we could get to places that we didn't dream we could do with a small amount that we are doing on our own. And that's, and that's I think, something that we always uh, want to push ourselves to. There's a, there's a discussion from Rav Desla. I'm not going to go into the Ariches. It's a long discussion about Bechira. Does a person have Bechira on everything? Right? So we like to think that, yeah, a person has Bechira. You can choose whatever you want. Right? Free will. Hashem lets us choose. So does that mean that I could choose to be, uh, to, to be something, to be the Rogachov going tonight? Okay, that maybe you can't do because it will take longer to become. Okay. Could I choose to sit now and learn for 20 hours in a row? Could I choose to learn six hours in a row? Everyone could choose to learn six hours in a row? What happens if I start learning and I feel like I'm falling off my chair? I, I can't. I'm, I'm plotting. Does it mean that everyone could choose everything at any given time? And he explains that not necessarily. The point is not that you could always choose anything you want. Some things may be above your abilities right now. But you always have a choice. And the Rambam is also pretty clear about it. You're never, you're, never, you're never forced to a certain choice. You always have two choices in front of you. You can always decide at any given moment, let's say, I can either learn or I cannot learn. How long am I going to learn if I have the choice to do it exactly the way I want? Or, but now you have a choice. Your Bechir is here to yes or no. And it's a long discussion, and people take issue with the discussion. It's a controversial discussion of what isn't the person's choice, what's not the person's choice. Is it, is it child to say about someone that he didn't have a choice about it? My point is just that when a person makes that first small choice that he does know that he has in the right direction, then it should be no wonder to him that Hashem will help him get to the end where he didn't think he could get, and he wasn't able to get in the beginning. It's possible that the way the story goes, this type didn't have the choice to say, I'll, I'll wait a whole Friday night in the Russian cold in the winter without a coat. He didn't have that choice, but he had a choice to wait five minutes because he chose wisely in the beginning. He did what he could do. Hashem helped him achieve even what looked unachievable. And the reason why I'm talking about this obviously has to do with the question we're going to be discussing, but there are many things in life, many things in relationships, many things in our homes. 
It just doesn't look like we have a way to make it work. And I talk about this often. Sometimes, is there something you could do in the right direction? Yeah, but it's not going to get me to where I have to be. You might be right. You might be right that where you have to be or where you want to get doesn't look achievable, attainable, and it might not be. But if you could do something in the right direction, very often that's what Hashem wants us to do. And uh, hopefully Hashem will help us get to the Amas Harbor, no less than Basi Baspare. I don't know if she was a Tadaikas or not, but Hashem helped her, and He would definitely help whoever needs help. So with that, let me read a question. Uh, maybe maybe leave out a few uh, details, just small ones, but... Okay, dear Bagrun, I'd like to thank you for all your Shiro Matur. Anytime I enjoy listening to them, I like your way of thinking, I like the way you set things straight. You transfer from subjective to a matter of fact. It really helps me clarify situations. Okay, thank you. Now about me. I'm a from yeshivish woman, okay, in, uh, with her age, married for one year, not yet expecting. My husband and I come from different backgrounds, different countries for that matter. I have a very hard time with marriage. I never experienced that glow and spark that most newly married couples have. I never lived in La La Land. And how sad it is, I never felt that I love or even like my husband. He didn't attract me from day one. Rather, I felt that I can't stand him. I tried my best to build a good relationship, tried to get to like him, but it didn't, it didn't really work out so well. I get very easily annoyed by his whole behavior. I'm leaving out a part about why they did get married if they were never attracted to each other, which is not relevant for this discussion. I was very disappointed with this, with this whole situation and with myself. I tried to just give it time, let the days pass without thinking much deeply and getting miserable. In general, I am a deep thinker. So time went by and I got used to my situation. I try to find other satisfaction in my life, work, family, friends. I try not to think. I try to just live, to do what has to be done. I try to be happy with the little things of life, but I'm not at peace with myself. I know that in general I can be a very pleasant person. On the one hand, I'm a deep and serious one. On the other hand, I like to laugh and have fun. Somehow when it comes to my husband, I feel a real blockage. I feel that I can't be the good and pleasant me. I don't manage to have a deep conversation with him. We do have conversations, but more or less the day daily, nothing major. I don't enjoy schmoozing with him. I don't manage to have fun together. I don't enjoy hanging out with him. As a result, I think, I often find myself behaving really rudely and sarcastically to him. A way that I would never have dreamed of behaving like this toward anyone, and surely not to my spouse. This is really not what I want for myself. This is not what I want my home to look like, and I feel that this is surely not what Hashem wants from me. I find myself having questions and thoughts that really don't fit a from girl and the education I was given. I'm really ashamed of myself. I don't know what Hashem wants from me. I know He wants me. I know He wants a husband and wife to love each other and enjoy each other's company. So maybe my husband is just not for me. On the other hand, I know that marriage is hard work, so maybe I really should just accept my situation as it is and try to find the good in it and just work harder. But still I keep thinking and dreaming that one day maybe I'll have a husband that I like and I'll build a good, happy, erlicha home with him and be truly, truly satisfied, even though I don't know if I'm allowed to have such thoughts. I know that I got it somewhere wrong. I don't know exactly where and how I can change. I need guidance. Could you please help me? Thank you so much. So, uh, quite intense um, when I get a letter like this, I mentioned this in the past, I just, I'm saying it now just to, be, to show that I'm responsible. Obviously, I don't just make someone wait seven months for an answer. I usually encourage, recommend, suggest, and encourage that you go talk to someone who could guide you through this in a healthy way. There's not something that's worth waiting months to hear a general perspective from somebody who doesn't know you or your situation much better than, than, than you just wrote. So that's clear. There's definitely, definitely something about this needs help and the right help. And I, I assume... I'm almost positive that I suggested that you go talk to someone. Okay. And in general, let me just say as a disclaimer that nothing I say should be taken as real-life guidance. Not because, not because nothing I say in general should be taken as real-life guidance, but to apply 
something I'm going to say to a situation like this, you know, I'm just sharing ideas. I'm just sharing ideas. I have to be careful. I don't know more about you than you said, so I can't give anything um, too definitive. In my essay last week, for those of you who are signed up to my essays and those of you who are not, you could ask to subscribe to them at rabbigruen at lahair.org at partial lessons, I'm sorry. Either one is fine, I guess. Um, partial lessons, P-A-R-S-H-A-L-E-S-S-O-N-S at L-E-H-A-I-R dot O-R-G. Um, I send out a, a, a weekly essay. And it was also, it's a, a Q&A format. So the question was a, was a certain, was coming from a certain perspective of a wife complaining about the husband's mode of chinuch. And it was very hard to determine, just from the question, um, who's being unreasonable. And not, not that, not that I'm, I'm looking to figure out who's the unreasonable person. I mean to say, is she right that her husband's being unreasonable, or is she being unreasonable about her husband's approach? And in my answer, I tried to give both sides of the coin and try to give clarity. My point is just that I have to be careful. And sure enough, it didn't take long from when my essay went out until I got an email, uh, somebody saying, well, maybe you got it wrong because based on what you answered, what if the question's really the other way around? And I had to point out how, yes, I answered that as well. My point being that it's hard for me to give a clear, real-life guidance to somebody who's describing a situation like this. What I do want to say is that the reason why I'm talking about this in public, obviously, like I always say, is because this is relevant to very many people. You'd be surprised. This is, very, this is relevant to very many people, not just people who didn't have the spark and the glow and the, whatever you call the first year of marriage, right? The beginning, the geschmacke, la-la land part of marriage. Uh, many people haven't, actually. They thought they would, but they didn't. I hear it from many people. And then even from people who did. I hear many people saying that in the beginning it was great. It was a machaya. It was mamash ganeden in this world. And now, it's already so long, there's nothing. It's dead. So you'd be surprised that this feeling of nothing there, and maybe I'll one, one day be happy, is experienced by people who did experience good times, either it was short-lived or even if it did take some time till it disappeared. But at this point, many people are in the same boat. That's first of all. Second of all, even people who aren't in the same boat, they're in the next boat of people who do have, let's say, 60-70% of good times, and then they have 30-40% of not good times, and in those 30-40% of the times, they feel very resentful. So it's nice for the person in the other boat to say, yeah, but you have the good times, so you know it's not the same issue. But when a person's feeling down, and those three days a month where the marriage is really, really not gishmak, they also could use ideas and a, a, a good way of thinking. So helping people understand how to deal with a marriage that's not batamt and not, uh, you know, not enjoyable is something that most people could benefit from on some level. Now, there is such a thing... Let me start with it. There is such a thing as attraction. There is such a thing as chemistry. There is such a thing as infatuation. There is such a thing as people being pulled to one another and loving each other and, 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 and love at first glance, or whatever you want to call it. There is such a thing. I'm not going to deny it. I'm not going to deny it. Um, you know, there, there are people that are attracted to each other and have a naturally easier time, let's call it, uh, when it comes to liking each other. And there are people that aren't. And many people who aren't are still sometimes um, doing just fine. I was at a, it was a Yurtzatzida um, of an Eilachid, and one of his Talmidah mentioned, I'm not going to go into the uh, example, the context of everything that was being discussed, one of his Talmidah mentioned that he once confided in him that uh, when he met his wife the first time, he, he really wasn't attracted to her at all, or she to him, or whatever, and it was clear that they were on two different pages. It was clear they were on two different pages. There wasn't even an attraction issue as much. That, that also was missing, but it, it was clear that the shit wasn't, wasn't for them. They both felt that, okay, it's not, it's not supposed to happen. They were encouraged to meet again, and the second time they came to the same conclusion, this is not for us. We're not made for one for another for whatever reason. And it was clear that they just weren't a match. 
again, without going into why they did get married, because they were told that it is the right thing for them, whatever it was, said the amazing part was that even after they met twice and decided they're not for each other, they made it work. They were not attracted to one another, and that's not how they made it work. But they lived together for over 50 years, and had children, and grandchildren, and great-grandchildren, and a happy marriage. And it was amazing to see how the way it was attained was you know, by overcoming a lot of that uh, difficulty that people used to be better at overcoming. Now, I don't know if I'd be able to do such a thing. I don't know if anyone out there today could. But it, it's clear that, that there is such a thing as being attracted to one another and there is such a thing as not being attracted to one another and still making things work. Uh, it, it, it's also clear that when it comes to shadikim and marriage, before you get married, there's one set of rules of how to look for someone to marry. And then there's another set of rules about how you deal with somebody you married we do believe that when Hashem wants to make something bashert, and people are supposed to get married, there's a word from Shinderuv and Andara, um, they say that when a shidduch is supposed to happen, Hashem will make you ask the people who are going to encourage the shidduch. And when a shidduch is not supposed to happen, Hashem makes you bump into the people who will discourage the shidduch. And I've seen this so many times. And I spoke about this recently, my uh, Komavasashir, I think it was, um, somebody told me after marrying off 10 children, 10 children, every child that I married off, I was in for a surprise. Sometimes it's a bigger surprise, sometimes it's a smaller surprise, sometimes it's a surprise for the good or for the bad. But I'll tell you clearly, every time I thought I knew what I'm getting myself into, and every time again I saw Hashem had His plan, it's not what I thought. Ten out of ten children, that's what He told me. And it's, you know, sometimes when you look back and you wonder, hey, why did I do that? You have to remind yourself, I did it because that's what Hashem wanted to happen. And if we can't remind ourselves of that or believe in it, then yeah, we definitely suffer from a certain insecurity about our situation. Like, who said this is good? Who said it's going to last? Even somebody who marries a person they love and they're attracted to and they're all happy about it, uh, how long is this going to go on? Does anyone know? Nobody knows. Is this person going to live long? Is this person going to remain healthy? Nobody knows. But we trust in Hashem, right? And you don't just trust about the things you don't know about because you can't avoid them. You trust even about the things that, that you do know. And sometimes people wonder, why, why did I do this? I, I don't even know why I did it. And the answer is that's what Hashem wanted. You know, the joke about the, the kid who asks his mother, uh, Mommy, why do you marry Tati? Because he because he was so good-looking? Um, no, because <laughs> you liked the way his beard looked, something like that. So, no, he didn't have a beard then. Oh, so you married him because he had a lot of money? No, he didn't have any money then. So the kids think, he said, oh, you married him because you just felt bad for him? But that's what it is sometimes. You look back and you don't even know why you married someone. And the answer is because that's what Hashem wanted. That's what Hashem wanted. So it's very important to understand that and believe in it and, and, and keep on reminding ourselves that, that this, there is a master plan. The master plan doesn't mean that there's no exit plan. The master plan doesn't mean that something has to work at all costs. The master plan means that there is a master plan. If we don't believe in it, that's not a question that any uncomfortable situation will definitely throw us off our track. Not a question. Now, it's also true, like I said before, that um, generations ago or years ago, people did have an easier time dealing with discomfort. For whatever reason, I'm not going to go into the theories. I'm not going into the theories. A lot of theories, why it was like that. People had an easier time, either because they weren't expecting much, or because they were too busy to care, or too busy to notice, or just not so self-entitled, or I, I, I don't know, whatever it was, life was hard anyway, or there was no choice, it just never entertained anyone the thought, you know, you can get divorced, I, I don't know what it was, but it's clear that people were able to deal with situations better than we are today, and uh, yeah, it's, it's harder today, we have, we have a lower tolerance and higher expectations and comfort levels, not a question. Another issue, which I think is just all part of the same puzzle, before getting anything personal about the questioner, another issue is that Again, something I mentioned in the other year, and something that I, I mentioned recently as well. Um, when, we, when, we, when we talk about why we get married and what we're looking to accomplish in marriage and things like that, that's, it's clear. That's one of the clear places, one of the clear um, areas 
where a Torah perspective and a secular perspective will not match. Not because the Torah perspective is ignoring a person's happiness and comfort level and uh, you know and, and how much a person should should be excited about what they're doing. No, the Torah is very happy about uh, encourages people to be happy, especially marrying the right person encourages it. There's definitely a, a, a whole nother part of why we're getting married. There's a whole nother, a whole nother goal to accomplish. There's a whole nother importance in, about the goal and the motives of life in general and building a home. It's not a question. And sometimes, when it comes to a shidduch, for example, um, people will take that very seriously into account. You want to marry one person because they're more attractive, but they have less year shemayim, and the, the chances that they'll build a toilet to go home are less. And the other person... It's not much my personality, and I'm afraid. But, but at the end of the day, they're offering something that, in the big picture, might be more have more importance. Now, I'm not saying how to decide such things. I'm not saying there's only two people in the world you can marry one of a million people. But the point is that when it comes to a Yiddishkeit perspective, there's more to it than just how happy am I. There's clearly more to it, and especially once you're married already, it's also helpful sometimes to just take into account, um, you know, the more. The, the bigger picture and how much of that do I have, how much don't I have, how much of that could I aim for, and how much of that will actually make me happy and make me feel fulfilled. And I keep on saying, when it comes to a shidduch and you're before the fact, there's one set of rules, not a question, a different set of rules. Chazal say that when a, when a woman's expecting, right, the first 40 days, um, you daven that it should be a son, not a daughter, a boy, not a girl. Right? It's a gemurah. Um, does that mean that once you, once you give birth to a girl, you're like, oh, shucks, we'll try again? No, chazal, of course not. Of course not. The, the set of rules before is that for whatever reason it seems to be an advantage um, to have a boy and you daven for it and you do what you could for it. Right? You make a dollar on wine because you'll have a boy. But, but after the fact, no, this is this is what Hashem wanted. I have a girl. This is my daughter. This is, uh, I never exchange it. Not even for a boy. So I think it comes to marrying the right person is, is also very uh, important. And like you write, marriage is work and, and you're right about it. You know, sometimes people say, I know, I know marriage is work, but there's no but. Marriage is work. For some people more, some people less. To be married to another person and share your life with someone and, and get along and enjoy your own life at the same time, it, it takes work. It takes work. Not a question that it takes work and we have to be ready for it. And for those who are blessed with marriages that take less work, color cover. Life takes work. Some people have an easier life than others. For whatever reasons, we don't understand these things in this world. Some people have a harder time earning a livelihood than others. Some people are less healthy than others. When it comes to finding favor, in, in, a, in a spouse and, and, and loving someone and liking someone and enjoying someone's company and things like that. Another important point that I, that I like mentioning in Yisadu Amina from Buddha Chalkasav he talks about this at length. Chayin, finding favor, if that's how you want to um, translate Chayin, finding Chayin is, is, a, is a spiritual thing. Tzarochni is like a thing. Chayin is not something you put on someone a, a bottle of Chayin and now everyone is wow. Everyone, everyone's attracted to that person. The fact that something, something or someone is attractive is chayin, it's a spiritual thing. You, you, we can understand how it works. And he talks about uh, real estate, for example, right? You see prices going up, prices going down. How, does anyone understand how that works? You're talking about a lot. It's the same piece of earth, same, same ground, there's nothing there, and the price is going up and going down. Now some people will say, yeah, of course, when there's more demand, that's part of the question. How did there become more demand? Yeah, because it developed. That's all part of the question. What attracted people to a place that made it go up in price? And what happened over some time that, it, that the price went down? When you, when you study it, you'll see so little of it can be understood. How does it work when somebody buys something from somebody? You pay money for a couch, right? Why is it that the person who bought it paid a certain amount? The person who sold it sold it for a certain amount. If Hashem wants them to be happy, He makes the person who's selling it to that it should lose the chayn in his eyes. The couch, I don't like it anymore. Let me see if I can get $800 for it. The other person looks at it and says, wow, it's beautiful, $800? 
Hashem made them both happy by, by doing the same thing. Just turning the Chayin level by one person who went down, one person who went up. The next day, if Hashem wants to punish that person for whatever reason, uh, he'll make the, the Chayin of the couch go down. He's like, oh, I paid $800 for that. Why did I do that? You know why? Because yesterday you liked the way it looked. Why? That's something about the couch changed? Nothing. And that's how prices and styles and attractions work in this world. And that's why we ask Hashem every day. Right? Of course, first for Hashem, but then we ask that we should find favor in people's eyes. We daven for it because it's spiritual. My point is that when somebody feels that there's a lack of chayin, of a spouse, one to another, it's something you could daven for. It's something you could daven for. Davening that somebody lose weight, which is something that Hashem put in the Bria, in the Teva, in the Bechira, you know, is, is a little less, we find it less, that kind of idea, than, than Chaim. Right? Asking Hashem that somebody wake up in time. Well, it's his choice, technically. You can maybe ask Hashem it should be easier for him, but you know, Chaim is not something that a person chooses. You could daven to Hashem that this, this person here, the person that I marry, the person that I love, the person that I want to love, and be attracted to, should find favor in my eyes. And davening does a lot. Last week I was very inspired. I was talking to somebody who, I have this thing that a lot of times you find people um, being publicizing yeshias that they had. Right? I promise that I'll publicize this when, I, when I'm golf. What happened? I gave people to eat a sida or I, I attended a lecht or I did some kind of zgila and I was golfing and I'm putting a title in the newspaper that says that I did this thing and it worked. And I said that I'll, I'll publicize it to show the chaz Hashem, which is a beautiful thing. A beautiful thing and Hashem likes when we publicize the things that Hashem does for us and, and, and encourage other people to believe in Hashem and rely on Hashem. Beautiful. So infrequently do we find that somebody will put in a paper, if, if ever, um, I promise that I'll publicize. I needed something and I davened and Hashem helped me. That's, that's the old way to do it. Now I'm not saying that we shouldn't try skillers or when you, need a, when you have to come out to some interesting way of doing things. But the simple way to do things is to daven to Hashem and to see that Hashem helps you. And you can encourage other people by saying, you know, I davened and this is what happened to me. Just last week I was inspired. I was talking to somebody um, and he, was, he told me that it was coming the end of the year, just now, before New Year's, and he had a certain amount of money that he still had to earn to a certain goal that he had to get to. There was a lot of money missing from this goal, from this yearly goal that he was supposed to get. And again, it was a lot of money. I'm not going to go into the details. There was a lot of money. A lot of money. To assume that he could make that the last week of the year was highly impractical and unreasonable to expect. And he said, you know what I did? I went to my room and I took it to him and I to Hashem, and I said, Hashem, if anyone could do it, you could. It's important to me. Please help me with it. And in one week, he made an extraordinary large amount of money. Something that usually takes months to make, he made in one, in one week. And that's, that's very inspirational. Not, not that it's a chiddush, that's what happens when you daven uh, very often. My point is just that when it comes to finding chayim, like I said, it's something you could daven for, and you should daven for, and ask Hashem to help you with it. Because sometimes any or any advice that I'll give you, or anyone will give you, might not work as much as Asking Hashem to help you with this because this is something in Hashem's hands. Um, you know, let, let me just mention two more points and then get a little more practical, I think, to the questioner. You mentioned that doesn't Hashem want us to love and enjoy the people we spend our time with, uh, each other's company, the people that we live with? Um, love, yes. Enjoy. Um, I, w- I would assume that, yes. I would assume Hashem wants us to enjoy it because Hashem wants us to enjoy this world in general. But to say that Hashem... Um, wants us all to enjoy everything that we deal with. Not everything in life is enjoyable, I'll be honest with you. The thing, love is a certain um, internal feeling that we have for people that we're close with and we care about and we can build on that. Enjoyment, we can't always decide what we want to enjoy. And as a matter of fact, there's sometimes an issue with couples. Uh, my wife enjoys a, a vacation and I enjoy staying home. 
Well, if I love her enough, I'll go on the vacation with her. I don't know if I can get myself to enjoy it. Okay, so enjoy is not always something that's in our hands to do, and not always the goal. I, I don't know. It would be wonderful. I'm sure Hashem wants us to enjoy this world as much as possible. Some Sefer talks about that. But to say that everything we're supposed to do, Hashem wants us to love His mitzvahs and enjoy them, well, yeah, but not always do we. And, and we do them anyway, because that's what we love. Because we know that we're Yidin, and we love Hashem. And we love kissing the mezuzah, and we love kissing the Sefer Torah, and I don't always enjoy the kiss, and enjoy the closeness, and enjoy dancing with the Torah, and some Torah. I do it anyway. So I'm just mentioning that. And we find it with children as well. Right? Um, very many people love their children. Most people love their children. And some people find find it difficult to like all their children. You know, sometimes we, sometimes we try to like the people we love, the people that we love them, because we're very close to them, and they're our family members and our children, for example, and some kids are hard to love. And we love them anyway, and we'll do anything for them. And we'll kill ourselves for our kids. And when somebody asks, do you like him? I love him, I don't know if I like him. And some kids are harder to like. And we do whatever we could for them anyway, and we know that this is our child, and we're going to do whatever we could to like him. And to try to connect with him and try to be close to him and try to like him even more. So if, if, the, if the question is if Hashem wants us to love and enjoy our spouse, obviously that's the best scenario. And sometimes if it's not that way, we can still love and like and do whatever we could to try to get to a better place. So with all that introduction, let me just try to address the, tr- the questioner uh, uh, rather briefly. You say that um, on the one hand, you, you're very, you sound very self-critical. Um, I got it somewhere wrong. And I'm feeling bad about myself and thinking the wrong things and, and, and I'm disappointed in myself and that's what happens. And then on the other hand, you're mentioning that you're sometimes rude and sarcastic and behaving in a way that you wouldn't want to. Now I know that that, that often goes together, right? I'm, I'm, I'm behaving sarcastic and rude and that's why I'm very self-critical. What happens often is people go from one extreme to the other. Um, I'm either going gonna to feel bad about myself bad about why I, don't, I love my husband and why am I not doing the right thing and why am I unhappy and why am I uh, not satisfied and why can't I connect and being self-critical or you know what that's it I'm just going to be rude and sarcastic and do my own thing because I can't handle this anymore there's, there's a middle place where I think is very important a middle balance there's something where, there's a place where a person will not be self-critical and say listen I didn't choose this difficulty I didn't choose to not be attracted to my spouse I didn't choose to not enjoy his company I don't have to knock myself and feel bad about myself. I don't have to feel bad about the fact that this, this whole marriage has not yet been pleasant. And I will be very careful not to make mistakes and behave the wrong way. I'm not going to justify doing the wrong thing because I'm not at fault. And I'm not going to blame myself in order to not do the wrong thing. I won't blame myself. I will understand myself. I'll be nice to myself. And I won't do the wrong thing at all costs. I will not be disrespectful to a husband, to a spouse. It's not okay to behave this way. Not a question. You also mentioned that you tried very hard um, to get it right and, and whatever else. I, but you didn't say what you tried. Now, sometimes people just try. I, I wanna, I'm going to try so hard to like vanilla ice cream today. Let me try very hard today. No, nope, I still don't like it. I'm going to try again. And then eventually you get frustrated because it's not working. I don't, so I, get, I don't mean to be sarcastic. I mean to say that I don't know what you've been trying. Sometimes you're trying to get yourself to like something you don't like. And that's not the, that's not the thing to try. It's like I started off with. I do think you need guidance. Um, and without guidance or clarity... Is definitely very frustrating. Um, that's not a question. But you want to know what to try. My point is just to help you understand that although in the past you may have failed, don't be self-critical. Don't do the wrong thing because of it. And, and don't get frustrated because maybe you didn't try the right thing. So if you're trying um, to turn off the light without touching the right switch and it's not working for a very long time, don't get frustrated. I remember talking to somebody about a problem that they had in the marriage actually, 
and I said, maybe you want to try something, we could work together, whatever it was. Like, no, I'm already, I, I, I already tried for 25 years, it's not going nowhere. And I think to myself, for 25 years, you, you didn't try the right thing, I would assume, I don't know. The fact that you failed for 25 years doesn't mean that you tried everything. It means that you tried very many times, or very, a, a long amount of time. It doesn't mean you tried the right thing yet. But if a person doesn't want to do something different, and that's what Einstein says, that insanity is trying the same thing and expecting different results. So again, I don't know what you tried, or if you tried, or, or, with, or with anything you had to try, but don't get frustrated too soon. It doesn't sound like you're married for so long, and you definitely um, could, amidst Hashem, try the things that will help you with Hashem's help. Um, so let's talk a little about the future. Right? We spoke about the past, let's talk about the future. One, one of the most important things that I think is important that sometimes people today have less of it than, than they used to, I think. I'm not talking about my experience. I'm not all that old. I'm over 20, but I'm not, uh, I'm not here long enough to know. But from what I understand and what I hear, people used to get married with a certain amount of commitment and certainty that it wasn't a question. It wasn't a question. It wasn't, it wasn't, they weren't doubting anything. When people came from Europe to America, for example, they weren't thinking, you know what, let's try it out in America. If it doesn't work, we'll go back. There was no going back, right? It was after the war. There was nowhere to go. You, you didn't pick up and go. They weren't thinking of going. Say, you're good. You're here to stay. And they made it work. And that's why we're all here now today, all those of us who are here in America. Today, when people move to America, they try it out. Let's try it out. Maybe we'll move back or move away or move somewhere else, a third place. And it's okay. You can move wherever you want. The world became more accessible and more flexible and more. the options are greater. When it comes to marriage... Uh, the attitude changed. People used to get married and they're here to stay. Now people get married and they, they check it out. I, uh, so again, you make a decision before you get married to see if you're willing to check it out. But then you get married and you check it out. And this is the issue we're you know, mentioning, expecting birth control issues and other things. You know, we're on trial. We're on trial. We'll, we'll see if this works. And when we feel that it's really working long enough, that's when we'll decide to get further. That stage, that initial uh, period where people are in a marriage and uncertain and they don't have to feed in, very often it doesn't let them do the right thing. It doesn't let them make peace with things because, because if I make peace with it, then I'm committing, but I don't yet feel committed, so why would I... And that's what, that's what um, causes people problems. It's a killer to not be ready to invest and commit because then you can't make yourself happy. I was talking to somebody who has already quite a few children and quite a few years married and from day one, I think I may have mentioned this last week, just recently, I was talking to somebody who, from day one, wasn't committed, wasn't sure that he married the right person, and decides to still be uncertain. Now, at this point, there's no looking back, there's no way to go. You have, you know, Kind of, Kinder, there's no, there's no... Yeah, but, but I, I'm, still, I'm still not sure if I really married the right person, and if I should decide once and for all that this is it, and I'm here to stay. Until you decide that, you'll never be happy. Right? If it's still... It's like, it's like having to book the ticket. You, you book the ticket for the flight before you have to go, because you have to go, there's a, there's a deadline. If you always had the opportunity to push it off and decide, you, you'll never decide. If you could decide when you're ready for Pesach, it will probably never happen. So getting married is the deadline when we decide, okay, that's it, I made the decision. Does it mean that there's no exit plan, like I said before? Does it mean that if something becomes intolerable enough, and somebody, and Ehrlich and, Eden, and that are objective, are telling you that it's not good for you, that you can't do anything about it? Oh, of course there is, Hashem made it that way. But in general, to not be able to say, I'm here to stay, it's very hard, it's very hard to be successful with that amount of uncertainty. It, it, it is a blockage. It's definitely a blockage that enhances the blockage of not being able to connect with someone. That's one. Another thought, again, I, I, do, I still think you'll need to discuss this with somebody, but another thought that I'm offering to anyone listening, how do you love someone? How do you, how do you get to a place where, okay, now I love? Is it easy to love? It's not easy to love. Hashem tells us to love Him. We have to love Hashem. The Sifurim talk about it. The Rishonim talk about it. How can you tell us to love someone? 
What if I don't? You have to. Um, okay, so I'm trying. I, I don't. I don't love Hashem. What do I do? I don't feel. Uh, love is a feeling, right? That's what, we, that's what we assume. Love is a feeling. I don't have the feeling. What do I do? Let's go and talk about it. Hashem is not asking you to love Him and feel the love. Hashem is asking you to do whatever is in your power to create that love and experience the love. And as long as you're doing what you could do, even if you haven't reached it yet, you fulfill the mitzvah of I have to. It's not just like, okay, you did yours, so the rest you can't. No, no. That, that's, that's what the obligation is. I have to ask Hashem the Kehu. Love Hashem means think about His greatness. Think about the chesudim, the, the kindness that He does for you. Think about uh, everything that Hashem does for everyone. And all, you know, all that will bring about um, feelings of love. Because you love something great, you love something good. And that's, that's, what, that's what Hashem um, could, could demand of us, because we are in control of our thoughts. As much as some people think they aren't. Somebody once gave me this love exercise and claims, uh, again, somebody who's knowledgeable in the topic, and claims that it works amazing. To sit down five minutes a day and push away all negative thoughts about somebody and only think about their qualities and the good things you could have from them and the good things they've done for you and things like that. Again, every day. It's not easy. But only allow positive thoughts in for five minutes a day. My point is that even if somebody finds a difficulty in enjoying somebody or loving somebody or liking somebody or being attracted to somebody, there are thoughts that you could think, positive thoughts, that, will, that might get you there. Some people don't want to think those thoughts because they don't want to love somebody they don't love. They're resisting something because they're uncertain if they want to make this work because they don't know if it's the right person. So this whole chain doesn't let them get to a place where, yes, I'm going to focus on the good. I'm going to see the good. I'm going to see what I could respect of the good. And even if I don't get overtaken by this overwhelming attraction or enjoyment, I will still have in mind the bigger picture and the important picture and the qualities and the gifts and all the good parts that I got over here and feel better and slowly settle in and connect with somebody else who's not exactly like me and maybe thinks a bit different than me and likes a different flavor ice cream than I do. Another very important point, and that is that marriage is very much about giving and taking. Giving and taking. Very many um, mothers right, know that, that the way to develop a relationship with a child, what's a child doing for you? Why do you love that child so much? Of course, there's a there's an inborn internal love and a passion and whatever it is that Hashem gives us for our children. But a lot of it comes from giving so much. You invest and you give and it, it, it bonds and it causes love. And sometimes people get married and they don't give so much because they don't want to give, they don't feel they have to give and they're resisting building a good feeling of giving. So aside from anything that people could feel good about just from giving, I feel good when I give to a poor person because I feel good about myself, forget about the poor person. It's a good feeling to give and to develop a, a, a fulfilling Feeling, when you give someone something, it's bonding. And taking is just as important. There are people that give and they don't take. They don't know how to take. They don't know how to ask. They don't want to take. They push away. They're afraid to take. Whatever it is, but it's a problem. Learn to take. If there's anything that your spouse could offer you, or anything that you think he might know how to offer you, or anything that you could initiate for him to offer you, as big or small as it is, ask for it, initiate it, and sometimes there's that feeling that slowly starts coming together, I'm getting something, I'm giving something, this is wonderful. It may not have been your first choice, and you may still enjoy your friends and family, and you should have friends and family and work and fulfillment out of your marriage like every healthy person should. But hopefully when you learn how to give and feel good about giving, and you learn how to take and feel good about taking, you do create a bond that together with a healthy thinking process could slowly help good feelings um, develop. Like I said, you might not be able to do this on your own. There might be something missing. You might need some help, and whoever wants, I can try to suggest... People you could talk to that will help you in the right direction. Not just that self-entitlement thing of, I don't deserve this, that's not for me. That's, that's not help. Um, but somebody who could help you um, doing this right. There are people that could guide you, there are courses you could take, there are shirim you could listen to. But it's all 
once a person feels certain they want to make it work, they're going to do what they could to make it work, they're going to invest in it, they're not going to justify things they shouldn't have done, they're not going to be, they're not going to blame themselves and, and, or get into any of those kind of mistakes, and with Hashem's help, we can get there. So just to summarize, like I said, I think this is relevant for very many people on different levels. Um, marriage does take work. Chayn does come from Hashem. Not always are we attracted one to another. This is something that we do have to dive in for and develop. Like I said, I don't know what you tried, but going forward, going forward, if you will discuss this with somebody who could help you, and you could build that feeling of certainty and commitment, and you could think the right things, and make sure that you are thinking only things that could develop healthy feelings, and learn to give and take in a healthy way, and I wish yourself, I wish yourself, we'll be able to get there, be able to develop these relationships uh, that we want, we could, we could uh, be close to each other in, in a way that, that we want. And like we started off with, when you do the small steps, you don't know if you can get all the way there and develop love and enjoyment and closeness. I don't know if you could, and you don't know if you could. But if you do it, Basi Baspari did, a little bit, do something. Do something to get a drop closer, do something to get a lot less, uh, a little less distant, a little less resentful, a little less uh, unhappy. Hopefully with Hashem's help. Neshtar Musa, Amas Harba, Hashem will help us live together. Mahav Ahmed Shalom Barayas.